Good afternoon. Uh, I hope everyone had a great lunch. Thank you so much for accommodating our schedule and starting a little bit later than we thought. Uh, I'm Emily Ramshaw. I'm the editor of the Texas Tribune, uh, and we're so happy to have you for the second annual Texas Tribune Festival. Uh, I'm sure this is going to be a very lively and fantastic uh, panel we have right now for family planning the great debate. Uh, just a reminder to please uh, silence your cell phones. You don't need to turn them off, but if you're tweeting, please use the hashtag TribuneFest. Mm. Um, and as a reminder for all these panels, just please hold your questions till the end. We'll have about 20 minutes, hopefully, for Q&A. I'm going to tell you a little bit about our panelists this afternoon who are so generously sharing their time with us. Uh, right on my left is Dr. Joe Poyman, who's the founder of Austin-based Texas Alliance for Life, uh, which I quote is an independent, nonpartisan, non-sectarian organization that seeks to end abortions through peaceful legal means. Uh, Poyman has been the group's executive director for 17 years now, right? Uh, he also is actually a, a rocket scientist. He holds a PhD <laughs> in aerospace engineering from the University of Texas at Austin, hometown. Next to him is uh, State Representative Brian Hughes, Republican of Mineola. Uh, Brian is an attorney and a member of the board of directors of the Texas Conservative Coalition. He's been honored by Texas Right to Life as a rising star in the anti-abortion movement and has worked throughout his time in the legislature to pass more anti-abortion legislation. Next to him is Dr. Kimberly Carter. She's a board-certified OBGYN and a graduate of the Baylor College of Medicine. She sits on the boards of the Texas Campaign to Prevent Teen Pregnancy and the Texas Medical Association's Maternal and Perinatal Health Committee. And she's an, on the expert panel for the Department of State Health Services Healthy Texas Baby Initiative. And then finally, last but not least, State Representative Donna Howard, Democrat of Austin. Uh, Representative Howard worked as a critical care nurse at Brackenridge and Seton Hospitals and is a past president of the Texas Nurses Association. She previously served on the board of the Texas Campaign to Prevent Teen Pregnancy and has been an advocate, uh, advocate for maintaining family planning and women's health funding in the state budget. So if you could all help me by welcoming our panelists, that would be fantastic. All right, let's start with something that we saw a lot of in the last legislative session. I want to get a sense of where you all stand. You know, we saw a lot of sort of combining the terms contraception and abortion in the last legislative session. You know, we saw talk about family planning cuts where the term abortion industry was thrown around a lot. Our family planning, uh, you know, our contraception and abortion, are those terms synonymous with any of you? Have they become synonymous in the, the last legislative session? You know, where are we right now? Talk about that landscape a little bit. Whoever wants to jump in. Well, I, please, doctor, go ahead. And are all your mics on? Yes. I was going to say, I can jump in as the physician in that uh, the terminology is completely separate. Uh, contraception is something that you would use prior to conception. Um, it is something that you would use, in fact, to prevent an unintended pregnancy. So th to confuse the two, it would be just being willfully ignorant, I think. Um, I agree. So also, I'm going to ask just folks, just a heads up, we're going to have this discussion. I would really appreciate it if everybody is sort of really respectful and that we can hold all applause or comments or questions until the end, please. And so... Um, Contraception actually is something that we can use to prevent an unintended pregnancy. And so we can actually use contraception to prevent um, elective terminations of pregnancy. So, so do any of you feel in the last legislative session that these terms got thrown around a lot together in the same sentence? I know I've heard Representative Howard talk about this. 
Well, certainly, and I think, you know, that's really the crux of the issue here. The fact is that uh, no state dollars go to pay for abortion, period. Not one penny goes to abortion. So that's really not what this is about. This was about women's health care that not only included contraceptives, but also health screenings for breast and cervical cancer, diabetes, high blood pressure screenings, cholesterol screenings, those kinds of things. Um, what was talked about on the floor was abortion, as if this was going to have an impact on abortion. What it did, unfortunately, was it impacted those very clinics that have never had anything to do with abortion. We don't give any money to pay for abortion. So indeed, it is having an impact because ultimately what's going to happen here is without access to contraceptive services, we will see more women pregnant. And unfortunately, we may see abortions increase. So it's having the exact opposite effect. I would only say, um, I agree with the doctor with what you said, and of course, my friend Donna Howard and I have talked about this, and, and she is my friend. We've worked together on a lot of issues, and we were honored by the Tribune to write a, a point-counterpoint piece on this back during the session. And we certainly agree that uh, contraception is not the same as abortion. There may be folks in the legislature that have a, a philosophical or religious or moral problem with contraception. I'm not one of those people. The concern is about money going for abortion. And as you say, there's no, um, under the law, money's not allowed to go directly for abortions. We recognize, though, that dollars are fungible. And so when an organization that performs elective abortions receives state dollars for these services, it then frees up their dollars to go and be spent on abortion. And so I can say, while I can't speak for all of the 100 or so members of the House that voted to redirect funds and to put limits on how the money can be used, I think I can say for most of us that the concern is not contraception, but the money finding its way to fund abortions, which most Texans, even who are pro-choice, are not in favor of state funding for abortion. So that's, they're related in that sense, but are contraception and abortion the same thing? Of course not. Am I opposed to contraception? <coughs> Heavens no. But I, I'm sorry, one more thing sure. that I have to say about this fungibility issue, if that's the right word. Uh, you know, we have separate, they, those that provide abortions, as well as providing family planning services, have separate operations with right. separate boards, separate fundraising and so forth. There, is, there are audits that are done, and as far as I have seen, there's been nothing that's been shown to corroborate the fact that there may be some, some kind of shifting of funds going on. There is, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, there is some pending litigation in federal court in Texas and also, I believe, in Florida where Planned Parenthood employees have testified that claims were filed under the Women's Health Program for allowed services, which were, in fact, there to pay for elective abortions, We'll see how that comes out. Those are allegations. I'm not saying they're backed up. Right. Allegations, they, but nothing has oh, you been bet. shown. No, that's what I'm saying. They've been sworn to in court. We'll see how that comes out. As a practical matter, I think we realize that if, if Organization X performs a number of services, one of which is abortion, if it plans on a certain amount of state or federal dollars coming in, it can move its unrestricted dollars over and use it for the abortions. I mean, that's, that's really kind of hard to argue I with, I would think, as, as a fundamental can, principle. But that just because it can doesn't mean that it's happening. And the fact is that they are separate organizations with separate budgets, and there is, they're getting paid a fee for service for particular procedures that are done. They're being reimbursed, and I must say at a fairly low rate. That's one right. of the reasons that we can't find providers is because it's at a, right. a low rate. So what's happened is that those, they're, none of the money that it was cut is having any impact on the delivery of abortions because it is a separate budget mm. with separate funding 
and the abortions have not been affected one bit. Well, it remains Dr. to be Poyman, seen. Let's let Dr. Poyman drop. I'll just say it remains to be seen whether they've been affected. I think they have been, but go ahead, Doctor. Thank you. They, uh, I can speak for Texas Alliance for Life, and we're as a pro-life organization, and we don't take a stand on contraceptives. We didn't oppose funding for contraceptives, and there was a um, there's a number of sources of funding for family planning in Texas. One of those fundings was grants from the Department of State Health Services. Those were cut by about two thirds. The other ones were maintained. But of the, we did not take a stand on that. We weren't supporting that. We weren't opposing it. That was something the legislature did to shift those funds to elsewhere. But I'll point out that there's a question of if an organization is providing abortions, whether they should get family planning funding. Because the state's policy is to not promote abortion as a method of family planning. One friend of mine, a woman who was pregnant with her fourth child and her husband was leaving her, went to a state uh, employee for, family, for uh, assistance and the, the state-funded employee said, you know, you can terminate this pregnancy. And she said, that happened at a very vulnerable time in her life. She was very offended by that. And I don't think women, even including low-income women, should be subjected to that. Now, Planned Parenthood is really what we're talking about. They're the only family planning provider that provides abortions. They run 14 abortion facilities, and at most of them, on those very sites where they perform abortions, with the same staff, in the same, using the same waiting room, administrator, staff, um, medical director, they provide abortions and the Texas Medicaid Women's Health Program. Those include their, include their abortion facilities at Stafford, on Gulf Freeway, in Fort Worth, Bryan, San Antonio, Midland, Abilene, San Angelo, Waco. They are mixing providing abortion as a method of family planning with, our, with providing abortions. Same staff. Example, if a woman is on the Texas Women's Health Program and in her annual physical, if she uh, is discovered she's pregnant, the staff at Planned Parenthood will frequently say, oh, can I schedule you for a termination? I don't think that is something that women in Texas should be subjected okay. to. I, I'm, I'm going to speak up as a provider. And first of all, it's bone-chilling to hear you equate abortion with family planning. An elective termination of pregnancy is an unfortunate choice that some people make when family planning has failed. We want every pregnancy to be an intended and anticipated pregnancy. We want everyone to be healthy. And for some women, when they come into your office, you do need to be able to go through all of the options. And this is something that's been vetted by the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologies. We have missives that are printed about this, and the options include continuing with the pregnancy always. And in fact, most unplanned pregnancies, they do continue. And um, about 40% don't. Um, the other option is adoption. And unfortunately, we only have about 1% of our pregnancies which are not intended that actually go forward with adoption. And then an elective termination, because this is a legal procedure, is an option. It's an unfortunate option, but it is an option. I want to ask a question here, and I want to know where all of you stand. You know, moving from abortion back to, to family planning for a second, do you believe it is the role of the state legislature, of, of state or federal government, to fund family planning? Is that a state responsibility? Is contraception a state responsibility? Well, I'll just say Texas Alliance for Life, we leave that up to the legislature. If they wish to do that, we do not object, so long as um, contraceptives are not provided to minors without, consent, without their consent. That, um, and uh, so we don't have a problem with that. We have cheered the governor 
for um, as the Obama administration is cutting off funding for the Medicaid Women's Health Program, and that program will die at the end of next month. We have cheered the governor for creating a new state-only funded program called the Texas Women's Health Program. Now, it's not an issue we're supporting or opposing per se, but we are cheering him. And frankly, I'm a little surprised that many in the family planning community are not doing the same. They're, um, I'm just hearing a lot of negativity, and they're not supporting the governor who is trying to keep these services going. And I'm a little mystified by that. All right, back, back to just, I, I do okay, want to get yeah. an answer to this question, though, which is, should contraception be funded by any government entity? Should the state play any role in it? The contraceptive, contraceptives are part of health care delivery. And the Centers for Disease Control have said that family planning is one of the 10 most significant public health events of the past century in terms of, we were talking about this, yeah. in terms of, of uh, preventing infant and maternal mortality. Mm -hmm. It's a huge public health issue. We have the highest uninsured rate in the country. If we want people who do not have the means to provide their own health care to be able to be healthy, productive citizens, then absolutely we need to be looking at supporting family planning to help those women become more healthy, to have healthy children, and in addition, we know that by investing that minimal amount of several hundred dollars that we can prevent the pregnancies that might have occurred otherwise that would cost thousands of dollars in Medicaid services. So it's also fiscally responsible. This is about good public health policy and fiscal responsibility. If I may, just throw out some statistics. There was a great Johns Hopkins study this past summer that came out and said, hey, in the developing world where contraception is not supported necessarily, they have found that they can reduce maternal mortality by 30%. That's an amazing number, um, just by providing access to contraception. Here in, the, in Texas, what we know is that the majority of our unanticipated pregnancies are among our, our young between 18 and 24, uninsured, and low-income minority population. And in this population, which we are paying for 57% of their births already, mm -hmm. and so we can either have a healthy pregnancy, which will cost the taxpayers about $3,200 a pregnancy, or we can have a preterm delivery rate of 16%, which will cost us about $42,000 per delivery. Um, and that doesn't include the long-term neonatal intensive care unit costs, the physical therapy, occupational therapy, all the things that go along with this. If we want healthy Texans, healthy Texans who are school-ready, work-ready, and who are not going to continue to be a burden on a social welfare system, then what we should definitely be championing is giving people the ability to be individually responsible for their reproductive health. So, Representative would, Hughes, right, I want you to jump in because we right. saw, you know, budget cuts to, of two-thirds right. to family planning. You know, a lot of people um, believe right. that was largely, truly, an effort to get Planned Parenthood out of the system. You know, on one hand, you had these massive budget cuts. On the other hand, it was, you know, an effort to keep Planned Parenthood out. How, as a fiscal conservative and a social conservative, do you balance those two things? As a practical matter, the motivation was to make sure that these state dollars aren't going to become an income stream for abortions, and I think if you look at the public and the private comments about that, the mo our motivations were clear. As far as the broad issue of government funding for, uh, for family planning for contraception, I know, my friends, I know where you are, I know that you care about women, and, and doctor, I, I know you do. 
Uh, I'll, say, I'll say this. I'm troubled by some things that I read, not from this group, some things that I read about keeping certain populations from having children, that sort of thing. Again, not, nobody, you're not, I, listen, I, I know where you guys are coming from. I don't question that at all. I know where you guys are coming from. Let me just say this. I bet we could all attest, either from personal experience or otherwise, that unplanned doesn't necessarily mean unwanted. And as one who was raised by a single mom in rural Texas who was actually on government assistance at, at the time of my birth, we're thankful it was there, and the community and the church helped a lot. I, just say, I would just say I'm, I want to be cautious about these things. My, my position is if we're going to fund it, it must not go to those uh, organizations that are providing abortions. But, Brian... And I don't question where you guys are coming okay. from at all. Please but know I mean, that. If you, wanted to have, if you wanted to accomplish that, what the cuts actually did, though, is they cut at clinics that don't have anything to do with abortion. They lost significant amounts of family planning dollars to provide preventive health care all these clinics, I mean, I think it was like uh, of 70 clinics, there's only 40 remaining something, whatever the right numbers are. Clinics closed. They were in, in the system. They were in the system at that time. Go ahead. Right. Clinics closed in addition to Planned Parenthood. Right. We don't have enough providers right now for people to access that care. And that tiered system that got created right. has prevented Planned Parenthood and other clinics from getting funds because it was a priority funding. It has. If you really cared about getting the services to women, why didn't you just do the tiered system without cutting the funds? Because you could have still omitted Planned Parenthood through that right. system, but not cut all the funds that are helping women stay healthy. Well, in the tiered system, I think we've seen that new providers are coming in. I've, I know that in my district I've got a list, some folks who hadn't participated before. So we're thankful that the services are going to be there. Now, as far as the reallocations of money, you and I know what a tough session it was. And if you look at where the money went... There were hard choices that had to be made. You and I wrote about this. There were hard choices that had to be made. And the money that was moved from, from family planning services went to help deaf, blind, multiple disabilities, to children with autism. It went to pretty noble so places, all of which were being cut. I know, I know it was. All those things were being cut. But I would say this. Um, often we hear the, the tautology that if we increase family planning funding, then we're going to see a reduction in abortions. But if you look at Texas, you know, since 1998, Family planning funding has steadily gone down each year, even before this last session. Since 98, the funding has steadily gone down, and the abortion rate and the actual number of abortions continue to decrease in Texas as well. So there's evidence. That's correct. Oh, I mean, the fact is we know we I, got more money going to the women's health program that was making a difference, but I'll, I know you're trying well, to... Well, one, one of the in. things that during last session, why our, our organization did not lobby for shifting funds from the family planning grant budget, and remember there are other budgets, of right. substantial amount of money for family right. planning. But one of the reasons we did not lobby for that is that we knew the tiered approach, which was, uh, Representative Howard mentioned, which was authored by, by one man, Chisholm, and two women, Representative Morrison and Representative Burkett, right. um, is that Planned Parenthood wouldn't get the money because they can't compete with organizations that provide comprehensive primary care, and they didn't. So we thought that there's no reason to cut this budget. In our view, uh, we didn't have any reason to cut it, uh, and some, some did, and there were good reasons. I mean, they, they gave strong arguments, but the point is, if we, let, if we stack up Planned Parenthood, which is the only entity we're talking about, they're the only ones that provide abortions and family planning, and stack that up against federally qualified health centers and public entities, those, in terms of quality of care for low-income women, Planned Parenthood always loses, and those others always win. And, and that's where the priority um, rider, which said that all the grant money would be given priorities, public entities first and, and federally qualified health centers, other entities that provide comprehensive primary 
and preventative care where women actually see doctors. And then the third one would be everybody else. Planned Parenthood lost out. So, but Planned Parenthood lost out intentionally because Planned Parenthood was effectively written out, as with the women's health program. I mean, you know, this Planned Parenthood obviously was an organization where clinics were, you know, serving, I think, 60% of the, the women in the women's health program. Obviously, 40%. 40% all right. Um, you know, and clearly a large percentage in, in the family planning community. Was the effort at the end of the day, with all with the cuts, with the women's health program, is the effort to run them out of business, to run them out of Texas? What's the goal? From my standpoint, if Planned Parenthood weren't performing abortions, there would be no problem with their participating in these programs. I mean, that's really the issue for us. And again, for most Texans, uh, even folks that are pro-choice are not in favor of public funds, their tax dollars, going for elective abortions. And I appreciate what you're saying about the different organizations. And, and there's a there's a, a difference there on paper, but as Dr. Pullman said, in many cases we're talking about the very same addresses, uh, the very same buildings, the common waiting rooms, common staff. Uh, that's what this is about. Planned Parenthood, uh, last report I saw, has an annual budget of uh, a little over a billion dollars, $300 million from state, from government grants and contracts. I understand they do a lot of things. They're also the largest abortion chain in the country, and that's why they're a target. We, we really think that our tax dollars should not be going to organizations that use it to promote abortion as a method of family planning. And if the organization is not promoting it, then we don't have that problem. So that's right. The, that's really the issue. And, uh, I, and I'll point out that um, Planned Parenthood, this is an organization which is not well, well known, but Department of State Health Services found... In 2009, they were operating four illegal, unlicensed abortion facilities in San Antonio, and they were shut down. In El Paso, Planned Parenthood's uh, center was abruptly shut down because it was so poorly managed, and there was, according to the media, a cloud of fraud. Uh, we have um, other uh, citations around the state. Uh, again, they don't provide comprehensive primary and preventative care. So where are our limited tax dollars, whether it's $30 million or $100 million or $500 million, is it going to go to those organizations where women actually see doctors? A woman is not going to see a doctor at Planned Parenthood unless she's there for an abortion. That's a fact. So what, what then is the solution for women, say, living along the Texas-Mexico border, you know, South Texas, for whom the only women's health provider in their community was a Planned Parenthood and it has now closed its No doors. place in Texas is their uh, Planned Parenthood the only provider. They're not in rural areas. They're in urban areas. And there are thousands of other providers on the, the Medicaid Women's Health Program and many other providers for, for grant money. Uh, that's just, uh, that, and, and again, they get need better care. And I apologize, but Please do. for the Women's Health Program, they asked physicians who were on it to sign this piece of paper a couple of months ago that my entire department at UT Southwestern Medical School did not sign. And we are the providers in the FQHC here in Austin. Federally qualified, qualified health center. Right. Um, and what it said was, I attest to being true or false whether you, you promote abortion. And at first we thought, well, who promotes abortion? Nobody promotes abortion. We don't promote abortion. Oh, sure, we can sign this. But then we realized, oh, this is some kind of political something, something that we're not thinking about. And so does this include when we have to have that hard conversation with our patient when it's not Sophie's choice. It's we either save one or we save none. Um, and we have to abort. So, or, you know, some people will shade that and call it induction of labor. But 
we decided that we couldn't sign that because the penalties were great. One, they only reimbursed us at a rate of 30% compared to private insurance. Two, is that they threatened to go back and take all of your Medicaid funding away. And again, 57% of our deliveries are paid for by Medicaid, so this could be a substantial hit to it, especially at FQHC. And then three, it would interfere with the doctor-patient relationship. If we could possibly be fined and lose our medical license because we signed something that we didn't quite understand, I mean, I'm, I don't know who promotes abortion. And, and I, I don't even know what the definition is from, from you guys, meaning the legislatures. Which, what were you asking us when you said, do we promote abortion? Because we don't promote, doctors don't promote abortion. I don't think that Planned Parenthood promotes abortion. I think from my understanding of Planned Parenthood, from its inception in the 1900s to now, is that it's all about stopping abortion. Dr. Carter, I don't think it's the Dr. Carters of the yeah, world that, that is a concern not. here, not at all, quite the not. contrary. Planned Parenthood runs the largest chain of abortion facilities in the country and in Texas. And they aggressively, in, in some cases, aggressively promote abortion. And I would like to have uh, Abby Johnson, the former director of the Planned Parenthood and Bryan abortion facility, who was the employee of the year in 2009, mm -hmm. and left because of she was being coached and encouraged to sell abortion. They're high profit. I would like her to sit down with you for, for an hour, and you could pick her brain, and, and that may change your view a little bit. I, I'm, I'm not saying you're, you're um, I, I think this is something that is not well known, but, uh, but if you see former employees, and she's not the only one, uh, you get a different picture about Planned Parenthood than, we're, than we may be hearing from their lobbyists. That's really anecdotal information, and, and a lot of that seems to be uh, the gist of these arguments. The fact is that Planned Parenthood, as I understand it, about 95% of their services are preventive women's health care services. Mm -hmm. It's a small percentage that's abortion-related. Uh, they're in the business to prevent abortions, to help women have the healthy lives, to have uh, the kind of healthy information and access to health care that will allow them to have their children when they're wanting to have their children. And as we talked about before, that's a huge public health benefit to do that. The good news for people out there is that Planned Parenthood is healthy and strong, and regardless of what we did in the legislature. They have good branding, people respect and trust Planned Parenthood, but that's not what this is about. This is not about Planned Parenthood. This is about denying women access to health care. That is what has been the result of this. And until we can get back to looking at that and making sure that all women that need this health care have access to it. At the, this is happening at the same time that we're struggling with figuring out how are we going to get women insured, the uninsured here in our state. How are we going to get them providers when we have a doctor shortage, mm -hmm. we have a nurse shortage, we have a shortage of all kinds of health professionals and clinics that can provide the health care. This is so out of the realm of doing anything to move us forward. It is moving us backwards. It is moving us backwards in terms of public health. It is not looking to the future of Texas. It's not looking to make sure that Texas citizens are healthy, well, productive citizens. Well, there is... I appreciate your perspective, and you know I always have. Uh, what you're saying uh, is, is an important to reframe the issue in that way, but as a practical matter, if you look at everything that's been said from the mic and private and the media, it's about 
abortion as a means of birth control. That's what sets Planned Parenthood apart from the other providers, as Dr. Poyman was just saying. I mean, that's what, that's what no one campaigns on denying health care for women. People do campaign on standing against elective abortions and against abortion as a means of birth control. And, and that's what the people of Texas have told us uh, in polls and by their votes and other actions that they, it's important to them. And so really it's about abortion as a means, as a means of birth control. Doctor. Certainly there are those cases where it's no, no, but this is a where, different situation. This is where I'm, I'm so surprised. We are on the same track in that nobody wants abortion to be a form of birth control. That's unacceptable. It, I mean, we know it. it you know, should, I should see it be these, illegal? Should abortion as a, as a, no, as a form of birth control be, be illegal? Can, as can, a form of birth control. I'm, I'm just. Sometimes curious. things happen. And I don't. No, it should not be illegal. At, I didn't mean. Really right. really. No, but, but if you really don't want abortion, if you don't want elective terminations of pregnancy, then you should be for contraception. You should be out there for education of our teenagers, for promoting abstinence plus education among our teens, for hoping that every relationship is one that's where both partners are adored and love each other and all of these acts are love. That's what we want for everyone. But that's some kind of utopia that we don't live in. And I... You know, I talk to these people on a regular basis. These are my patients. You know, some patients are, you know, they're trafficked. They're sex slaves. And they're getting abortions because they're being forced on them. Some of them are in domestic violence relationship where things are very controlled. There's lots of different reasons why people have sex. And it is not always to procreate. And there's lots of different reasons why birth control fails, and it is not always the fault of the person who is attempting to use birth control. I want to circle back to something, though, about these FQHCs that y'all have brought up all ago. I had read where Rick Perry went this week to go open a clinic that it, where the funding was being diverted, so I was very interested in that because People's Clinic here in Austin has lost $500,000, and that's a great comprehensive clinic. So I was curious as to what these were going to. And this went to a place called The Source. And I looked on their website, and there's no physician there. They do have a medical director, but there's no physician there, and you brought that up. They say that they do comprehensive well-woman exams, but this does not include a pap smear, nor does it include contraception. So this seems completely opposite of what you're saying. I mean, having the money going to comprehensive FQHCs as a tiered system sounds fantastic. I support that, absolutely. But having it go to a place that is masquerading as comprehensive when they don't, they do a well-woman exam, but the well-woman exam doesn't include cervical cancer screening is incomprehensible. Do you think a physician, doctor, should be present seeing clients? I think that a nurse, an advanced nurse practitioner is, is acceptable. Okay. Yeah. Well, if there's one Planned Parenthood site in Austin, mm-hmm. in all of, in all of great Central Texas, mm-hmm. which is, which is a W Texas, I'm sorry, Medicaid Women's Health Program provider, only one, that's on East Austin. Within, uh, and they do not have physicians that see patients. Uh, we are paying them to screen for breast and cervical cancer. It's just a level one type egg, uh, breast exam, like a woman would do in the shower. Mm-hmm. They have no mammograms. Machines anywhere in Texas, no mam- Planned Parenthood has no mammogram machines. Um, within uh, a half a mile, there are two uh, Travis County funded community federally qualified health centers who provide excellent care. Now, why not ship the money to those 
went and we had I had one of my staff call and they're accepting clients for WHP. So I just said if, you know, comprehensive FQHCs are wonderful. That's right. So we agree on right. that. I'm well, super no, sure. Well, I know we agree on much more than you think. Right. It's it is simply that but this source clinic is nowhere near that. And well, yet that's where money has been diverted from People's Community Clinic, which is a fantastic operation I, I, that does social work. I beg to differ. They, they're, at this point, they're getting no public dollars. Right. And well, they, they right, will have a physician. I understand they're going to have a physician in the spring who's present. Okay. At that time, they're going to apply to be a Texas Medicaid okay. Women's Health Program provider. Also jump present, in. they're not. Yeah, go ahead. Kimberly, you can yeah. join with this, too, if you mm -hmm. want, because I, I don't know if the men understand when you go to have a breast exam, at, when I go to my OB-GYN, he doesn't have a mammogram machine That's in his correct. office either. Mm -hmm. And I am referred to uh, the Radiological Association to have my mammogram done. But Dr. Howard, you said you just saw a physician. Yeah. They will not see physicians at Planned Parenthood unless matter. they're there for an abortion. I would abortion. go to an advanced practice nurse to have the same thing. My point is that those of us that are women that go to have regular health checkups, either from an advanced practice nurse or a physician, more often than not, is not going to be a mammogram machine in that office. We go somewhere else to have our mammograms done. It's just, it, that's just a, that just doesn't happen. I want to I want to jump in and ask. And clearly, I haven't had to do too much work in this panel, which is terrific. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to ask, how did this become? You know, family planning not that long ago was a bipartisan issue. You know, uh, George Bush was, yes. was pushing for it. Um, the Medicaid Women's Health Program was created in Texas as part of a bipartisan effort. Um, you know, how did we get to where we are today, where family planning is and contraception and how you receive it is a political football? When did this change? What happened? Abortion as a means of birth control is the common denominator here. And I, and I recognize that you're not for that. I don't doubt you at all. I, I appreciate you, and I'm, I'm, I want to learn from you. I appreciate what you're doing here. We have to acknowledge that some people, and good folks, do support abortion as a means of birth control. Some organizations do in a pretty, in a pretty big way. And but, that, but wait, okay, wait hold okay, on. Okay, no, but, but abortion was an issue 10 years ago. Let, direct, this okay. quest, this, let me ask this one question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when okay, did, all right, when all did right. this change? Because abortion was in the picture 10 years ago. Is it that the legislature has gotten increasingly conservative? Is it a Tea Party effort? What, what changed? Abortion has always been here. I think money in the state budget is being scrutinized more closely, and not just from a fiscal standpoint, but from where the money's going, from what it's being used for, what policies it's promoting. And I would say, in, in about the last 10 years, in 2003, there was a more conservative majority elected to the House. I guess the Senate was, was sort of leaning that way, and a lot of folks ran on this issue, on the, on the right to life issue, were motivated by it. And so they're concerned about it, their constituents are concerned about it, mine are. And so looking at the budget, and it's when you see money going to an organization that provides elective abortions, abortions as a means of birth control, you dig a little deeper. Now, I can't answer for everyone, but I know that I heard from folks who were concerned that there were state dollars, their tax dollars, being going to these organizations. So I would say that's one thing that's changed. People are paying more attention. And yes, the legislature has gotten more conservative, I would say. I We're, would say, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, please. I would say ask Senator Wentworth. Um, he's been battling this for quite a while. Um, he's, as far as I know, I don't know, Brian, you might correct me on this, he's, as far as I know, maybe the last uh, Republican who openly supported uh, women being able to make decisions with their physicians about their own health care, as opposed to the legislature so. making the decisions for them and interfering with the doctor-patient relationship. 
so I would say that indeed, what's, whatever's happened, whatever's happened politically, that it has become uh, politically dangerous for Republicans to be, to, to be in support of uh, women being able to make those decisions uh, as we just saw Senator Wentworth lose his race. And, uh, you know, I don't know when that happened, but it's of grave concern to those of us that are wanting to make sure we move forward with women's health care. Right. And I don't know what it's going to take. I'm hoping that women of both parties and no parties who are going to find themselves without access to health care are going to be able to recognize that it does matter who you vote for. Back in uh, speak, speaking for Texas Alliance for Life in 2001 and 2003, we made a concerted effort to start scrutinizing the budget. And as, I think as Representative Hughes said, there's more scrutiny. And we started realizing that um, while there's wonderful organizations getting family planning funds, Planned Parenthood was a big part of the recipient of that money. And again, they run the largest chain of abortion facilities. We started to see, can we, that money be shifted to those organizations which is the prioritizing rider those, to those organizations uh, who did it. A lot of support in, um, among uh, female and, and male legislators, um, not always in, in both parties, but nevertheless uh, support. The, uh, and this um, Senate Bill 7 during the special session last summer, which had this measure that excluded organizations that provide and promote uh, abortion uh, from the Medicaid women's health program, uh, when that passed, that passed by large margins in both sides and the, uh, um, had um, Senator Nelson authored that bill in the Senate and she had that language in her introduced version. I think it's, it's not the question of, it's, I think you, we really misread the issue if we look at it in terms of access to family planning for women. The, if Planned Parenthood, as Representative Hughes said, got out of the abortion industry and got in with FQHCs and probably increased the level of their care to, to the level of, of comprehensive primary preventive care, I don't think there'd be any controversy at all. That's right. So when we That's talk right. about umbrella organizations, if Planned Parenthood, and I'm not saying this would ever happen, but if Planned Parenthood ceased performing abortions in Texas but still performed them in other states, would you allow Planned Parenthood to be part of these programs? They, they would meet the legal standard for receiving funds. State funds? Is mm -hmm. Let me, also, let me also just clarify, too, that uh, from my understanding, the state records indicate that we have about 80,000 abortions in Texas a year. Only a quarter of those are performed by Planned Parenthood. So there are going to be 60,000 abortions that are, I assume are provided for people who actually have access to this legal medical procedure. So what we would be doing if we tried to cut, family, uh, cut uh, Planned Parenthood out of the equation here is we would just be denying a, access to a legal medical procedure to those women who do not have the resources. But again, I also want to remind you that the cuts that were made have had no impact on Planned Parenthood's delivery of abortions because it's separate. No state funds have ever gone to it. They're not going to it. It is not impacting that. All we're doing is creating a, a situation where women do not have contraceptives and thereby increase their chances of getting pregnant and thereby increase the possibility of more abortions. I would only say as funding to Planned Parenthood has gone down, abortions and abortion rights continue to decrease in Texas. So, I mean, there's, the numbers are, are, are there. 
the abortion rate continues to decline as this funding declines. Maybe because they're doing a good job of getting women on contraceptives. <laughs> Even with less money from the state. All right, I'm going to open this up to everyone's favorite time. Questions, uh, please line up at the mic if you have questions. Uh, and I'm going to ask again, let's do this, everybody respectfully, hooting and hollering. You can wait till the end. So. <laughs> I'll ask the men the hard question. <laughs> what gives you the right? What gives you the right to determine what women do with their bodies? So, what are you willing to do? Because it takes a male sperm and a female egg to have a baby. So maybe we should uh, have a license to procreate. And maybe men should have to go to family planning school. And, you know, like you have a gun license, you know, you have to go and be trained on how to use your gun. Well, maybe you should go to, tr go to training and learn how to use your whatever, your gun. And then you can take some responsibility. And in a way, this would create uh, a funding stream for the state because, you see, you'd have to get a license and pay a fee just like you would for a gun license. Uh, we call it a license to procreate. It would be good for one shot. <laughs> and right, if I'm going to ask, is there, make sure there's a question. Well, I want to know. I'm getting to it. Okay. And so, you know, at the end, you'd have to go back and go to refresher school and renew your license if you were going to shoot again. So what are you men willing to do? Because it takes two people to make a baby, to make a fetus. What are you willing to do to educate men and to stop this stream of unwanted pregnancies? Because y'all have just as much responsibility as the women. That's right. That's right. Thank you. It goes to the fundamental question. You talked about the woman's body or right to control her body. Of course, we would differ over where the life begins. And if the unborn child growing in her body is a human being with the rights of a human being, we have to protect those rights. And so uh, that's where the difficulty comes in. And, and let me say about the man's responsibility, Doctor, I think you mentioned some of the women that are in these horrible, basically slavery situations. Uh, coerced abortion is a real issue in Texas. The law is not near strong enough on it. And yes, we filed and supported legislation to do something about that. It's not uncommon for a, uh, a boyfriend to bring his uh, minor girlfriend in and lie about who he is and uh, into an abortion clinic and, again, not taking responsibility for his actions. Yes, men bear responsibility. Uh, as a practical matter, our foremost goal has to, has to be the protection of innocent human life. And with that, we've got to be supporting the mothers. I, I hear what you're saying. We believe that that unborn child is a human being with rights that have to be protected. But we've got to care for the woman. And these men that are abusing women that are not taking responsibility should be held accountable. I've filed some legislation to do that, and I'll do more. I, I have to think about your particular proposal a little bit more. Let me do a little research on it. But please know that I hear what you're saying. Uh, this is about the unborn child. It's not about, uh, about anything else for us. We want to take care of all those consequences. I'm Clint Stutz with We Texans, and uh, my wife and I have been trying to have a baby for nine years now. Mm -hmm. And I, I know more than I ever wanted to know about how that actually occurs and what the time <laughs> window is for that. And uh, I know it's a pretty small window. And if I was a guy that didn't want to have a baby 
and I had a, a brain up here, and, and this was actually the functioning part of me at that point in time, <laughs> uh, I would know, okay, in this window, we're not going to do anything. Um, I think I like what she said about responsibility. Men have to take responsibility That's to right. not pressure a woman uh, to have sex at the exact wrong time and without contraception, or even with contraception, because it can fail. And women have to have that same responsibility as well. Uh, it goes both ways. And I know there are cases where there's abuse and you know, all that kind of stuff. You've got to deal with that separately. And I'm, also, I'm wondering, here's my question. I'm getting to it. Thank Is you. Is there a correlation between government funding of contraception uh, and an increase in lack of responsibility? Or is there even mm. any research on that yet? So like creating a moral hazard where... Yeah, moral hazard, yes. Right. The, I, I would cite you studies that show there is, and I suspect there are different, different uh, statistics uh, out there, and people slice and dice the numbers different ways. But there's, again, there's evidence that uh, increased, uh, increased funding along these lines does have that effect, even though it's not the intent. I increased funding that. For, for contraception is what you're saying? Yes, well, and there's some, even the Guttmark Institute has made some comments about that. And I don't know, Doctor, you may know about the definitive studies better than I do, but increased funding... Uh, Doesn't lead necessarily to irresponsible behavior. Not necessarily. Yeah. No, but increased funding and access to contraception definitively leads to a decrease in unintended pregnancies. That's what the studies show. It's one of the reasons why we look at studies is so that we can employ them and use them to make good public policy. And for example, in the teen pregnancy world, that's one of the, that's one of the things that we want to use is we want to promote abstinence because these are teenagers, they're young, but for those, you know, in Texas, 67% by the age of 18 are having sex. And so we also have to be pragmatic about that. And what we know is that when we give them access to contraception, they actually are more responsible, at least for their irresponsible behavior if you want to say that. Um, and again, I'll go back to the Hopkins study about third world nations, which is, you know, in some ways where we could be headed as far as women's health care in Texas, as far as how we approach it, and that access to contraception is decreasing maternal morbidity by 30%. You have to remember as well, access to contraception is one of our ways of decreasing preterm labor by in Increasing the interval between one pregnancy and the next mm. pregnancy. It's decreasing the rate of autism. Autism is associated with a decreased interval in pregnancies. Um, it decreases low birth weight and then all the sequelae that go along with low birth weight and preterm labor. It's one of the things that Texas was funded $70 million to help implement is how can we have healthier Texans? And we know that one way is to allow people to increase the interval between births and the best way to do that is through contraception. So it doesn't seem, there's no study out there that says that if we give you more contraception, you'll be more irresponsible. In fact, there's lots of studies that say the more information and education that's accurate that you give to people, the better they'll use that information to do good things um, for themselves and be more healthy all the way around. If you saw the uh, Houston Chronicle opinion piece this last week that equated this to seatbelt usage. And the fact is that, that you know, you're teaching a teenager to drive. You also teach them to wear a seatbelt in case something goes wrong so that they're safe. Wearing the seatbelt doesn't make them drive more recklessly. The same thing with providing information about contraceptives. You know, you're teaching uh, 
what you want these teenagers to do and to be abstinent and how that is the most effective method and to wait until they're responsible and mature and ready. But things do happen. And the, the contraceptives then are a safety net. And the studies do indicate that this does not increase behavior, sexual behavior. In fact, the studies indicate that it delays onset of sexual behavior. In teenagers. In teenagers, mm -hmm. right. Hi, um, my name is Marianne, and I was recently reading an article where a Catholic nun was quoted saying that, um, you know, we talk about this culture, right, right to life, um, pro-life, and yet it's, it's actually oftentimes a culture of pro-birth. Mm. So, you know, I, I've had friends who have had abortions, both unfortunately legal and illegal, um, and the reason for many of them is they didn't have money to take care of a child. They didn't feel like they could support a really quality lifestyle. And we live in a state where education funding is cut. And if you don't have um, good support from your family, if you don't have an education you need to have a career and provide, you know, we're encouraging women to go through with pregnancies. And at the other end, after the birth, what are we providing them? So a comment on that, that idea that there is a difference between pro-life and pro-birth. I would like to, to hear any thoughts on that. Especially in light of the education cuts and the you know, Medicaid shortfall in the last session, where does that leave us? Right, right. I would say that it's hard for us to make a judgment that a child born to certain circumstances is not going to have a good life or a quality of life that we would approve of or would enjoy. Now, uh, there are different opportunities put before each one of us, and, and we go to different, uh, we take different paths. But if we believe that those lives are, are, are sacred and are worth living, we should give them the opportunity. Should we try to be helping folks? Of course. Uh, mothers with children, helping those children, of course we need to. But I, I think we should be careful. I have to be careful saying that a child born in this situation is not going to do well. It would be better if, if if we just didn't do that. Uh, there's a, a new member of the legislature from the Rockwell area named Scott Turner. And a wonderful guy, has a, has a really neat story to tell. And he was born to a, a low-income minority family uh, in the city. And, uh, and he'll tell you, they wrote me off. I, wasn't, I was supposed to be a statistic. I wasn't supposed to make it. He went on to a professional football career. He's now a member of the legislature, so he's dipping a little bit. I recognize that. But he's a guy who's done well. He's enjoyed the American dream. And, and, and I, know, I know we all agree on that. But I, I, I want to be careful with this idea that if a child's born to a single mom or born in poverty, that that's not a life that's, uh, that's going to succeed. But let me speak doesn't to, to It doesn't have to there. be that way. Let me speak one thing to that, Brian, because there was a, a bill that I had in the last session because of the education cuts that was going to... Um, we cut the grant programs to the schools that was going that, that allowed them to provide daycare for the girls that had, had been pregnant and had babies. Mm. That got cut, uh, but a lot of the schools wanted to still have the option to use that because it was allowing them to keep those girls in school and let them right, graduate. Right. Well, some of the same folks, many of the same folks, who uh, wanted to make sure that 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 girl had that baby and didn't have an option to get an abortion, voted against. Mm. my bill because they said she was not being responsible mm. and therefore they didn't think that we should send state money to support her in her education mm. to mm. the point that was just made. Mm. And if I could just say real quick, I'm sorry, 
there, there actually are statistics out there. The Children's Defense Fund, Mary Wright Edelman's organization, actually has a wonderful missive that's very detailed about what are the consequences of children born in certain situations. For example, uh, a, a male child born to an African-American teenager is more likely to go to jail than to go to college. And these, those are the real harsh stats. And so I do think that it's really important for you who are our leaders and legislators who are making laws to not abandon these people. Head Start is great. You know, these organizations that keep the little kids, the, our teenagers in school, all food stamps, anything we can do to help them to have a healthy and healthy childhood. But always go back to one of the best things we can do is to have a healthy pregnancy and to have an anticipated pregnancy so that we get them off to a great start. They're not a premature baby. They're not spending time in the NICU. They're not behind. They are school ready. And so I, I would love to see the support to be very broad and starting from before you're even thinking about pregnancy and then an anticipated pregnancy and then help afterwards. One of the things that I, I, I'm very sensitive to the idea that uh, pro-life needs to be, pro-life movement needs to be doing more and to that end, and I think some credit is due because the pro-life movement has responded with um, centers run by staff and mostly volunteers, uh, sometimes a lot of staff, but they are uh, typically not publicly funded, but sometimes they are here in Texas, of uh, pregnancy resource centers to help women who uh, ask for help. They're non-judgmental. Their goal is for a woman to, and her child to be self-sufficient within six to 12 months after the birth. They are, there's a network of them. There's more than two, 240 of them compared to about 40 abortion providers in Texas. So, and they're helping tens of thousands of women in Texas every year. I think within the Austin area, I think there are uh, 16 or 18 of those organizations. Again, some are publicly funded, most are not. They raise, most of them raise uh, their dollars with donations. Um, they are, the pro-life movement really is about pro-baby, unborn child, newborns, and the mother. Um, if we, we are concerned with both mother and child, and, and that's really at the core of our, of our, of our mission. Do we have time for a few more? Yep, we have six minutes. Mine's... Great. Well, the previous person who asked the question was along the lines of my question, but I'm going to add a, a more pointed question for Representative Hughes. Um, you know, it's commendable um, that uh, you care a lot about human life and that it starts, and that's the number one focus. Um, so do you support Medicaid, which is which allows children in Texas, many children, one out of every three children in Texas, to have access to health care coverage. Um, is that, um, you know, value of life, mm. does it continue after the baby's born? Do you Thank support you. Medicaid? Thank you. On Medicaid, and I know uh, Chairman Coleman is here and other folks who've worked on this issue, Medicaid is an important program, and what we would love to see the federal government do without getting too far afield is give the states that money in a block grant and let us deal with it just like welfare reform is handled. Medicaid could be done a whole lot better. It's an important program. Folks in my district rely on it. I have friends who rely on it, and it's not working very well. I wish we could get that money from the feds and have local creative solutions because obviously Austin doesn't know what's best for my community and certainly Washington doesn't. So 
we're for the program. We'd love to see some real reform in Medicaid, and I hope we can see that as we continue this battle over health care reform. So, yes, I'm for it. It could be in a whole lot better. We would get better care for the folks, and it would, it would actually cost less. Great. And I would yes, actually me. love to meet with you later of how block grants really mean cuts um, oh, okay. at the end of the day. For, you know, honestly, but, no, thank you. But we can talk about well, that. Let's, let's do talk because I really don't see it that way, and so educate me. Let's talk afterwards. I'd really like to talk okay. to you because this is important. that'd be great. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, uh, my name is Joe Potter, and I've had the opportunity to be part of a, a research project that's uh, attempting to evaluate the impact of the family planning cuts on, uh, on women's health in Texas. Uh, and this project's given us the opportunity to go around the state and interview uh, clinic directors and, and clinic family planning clinic staff. And one of the things uh, we've noticed is the kind of disjunction between the discourse that took place in the legislature and how people are reacting at the community level. And specifically, local medical communities and lots of city councils think the cuts are nuts. They believe that this is going to have an impact not only on women's health, but it's going to have a fiscal impact for them. So my question is to both uh, Representative Howard and Hughes, if you've been feeling some kind of reaction from this local level that seems to be very different from the lack of reaction that there was when the legislation was passed during the last session. Uh, so it's a question of kind of what feedback uh, both of you are getting at, at this juncture. Thanks. Dr. Go ahead. Thank you. Well, I'm certainly hearing uh, from the providers locally about what's going on. It was mentioned earlier that uh, in the Austin area, not only did Planned Parenthood lose funding with the family planning cuts, but also People's Community Clinic, as Kimberly mentioned, um, and also El Buen Samaritano, uh, they lost their funding. We lost in Austin $1.2 million, which meant I think it was 16,000 women who were getting services would no longer be able to access them. Uh, I am hearing from people in the community that they do not have, and this is Austin, so we're fortunate here. There are a lot, a lot of resources here that people can call upon. Um, so we're not hearing it the same here, of course, as there are in some areas where they do not have right. other uh, clinics and facilities to count on. But still, even with that, they are having to... Um, they, there are, at Peoples, I know they've talked, Celia Neville's talked about the fact that uh, there are some clients who can no longer afford to go there because what was once uh, free or at a reduced cost, they're having to charge for now because they lost that funding. Mm. And it's preventing uh, these, these women and girls from getting the health care that they were getting. So, yes, mm. I am hearing something locally. Thank you. I hope you'll share with us the study as you, as, you, as you come through it. I haven't heard that. I represent a rural district with uh, my new district has six counties, and there are 20-some-odd providers uh, now that are, have not been affected and uh, pretty well across the district. So I haven't heard that, but please share with me the study as you move forward. But it hasn't been an issue in my part of rural Texas. We have time for just one last quick question. So, yeah. so better be good, right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. Uh, my, my name is David Wiley, and I'm in, from San Marcos. And... I think I've seen this movie a number of times. I've been following this number of issues, and it usually involves a couple of men on the pro-life side arguing with women on the other side. So I think I've seen this before. But my, my question is, 
repeatedly on the, on the pro-life side, um, I hear anecdotal stories. I hear my neighbor, this happened to them. I knew somebody, this happened. Yet we have Dr. Carter who can cite study after study after study. Would it not make the pro-life argument a little bit stronger if we could, if your argument would be more based in science and less in anecdotal stories and my cousin heard this and this happened to my niece in Beaumont? I hear that. I mean, I've been, right. there's a question in there. So is, is, there a, is there a way that you guys can do more science and less anecdotal stories that your grandmother told you about? I, I can say this. I can say this. We're talking about how in the last 10 years things seem to have changed. There seems to be a focus on this. It's a very good point. Look at the abortion rate in Texas. And when I say rate, I'm not talking about just the sheer number of abortions, which are down, but also the rate. And it's going down. It is steadily going down. It continues to be reduced. In Texas, as we've seen, these changes take place in the legislature. And so uh, if that's the goal, if our, if our argument is these policies are having an effect on the number of abortions in Texas, they are. I mean, I don't think anyone would argue that the abortion rate is, is climbing in Texas. Hang on. No shouting out from the audience, please. Pretty please. So, right, the post talk. And then we're going to wrap right. it up. So there, there, are, there are actual numbers that don't lie. They're, they're, they're out there. You can, you can take out changes in population, look at the numbers of pregnancies, and the abortion rate continues to decline. I mean, remove all the variables. I mean, it's making a difference. In 1999, Texas passed the, the legislature passed the Parental Notification Act, which requires the physician to notify a parent before performing an abortion on a minor girl, 17, 16, as young as 12 or younger. Planned Parenthood opposed that. Two things, three things happened after that law, and it was the next year it began to drop. Abortions on minors dropped, pregnancies of minors dropped substantially, and uh, childbirth for minors actually dropped. And that was confirmed not only by the Department of State Health Services uh, numbers, but also a study was done by uh, an economist from Baruch College in New York and tracked two years before the law and two years after the law. Peer-reviewed study. I think it was pu published in New England Journal of Medicine. The parental notification law was good public policy. That was a big pro-life initiative. People on the other side vehemently opposed that, said the sky would fall if we required doctors to notify parents of minor girls. It's working very well, and that's a, a very well peer-reviewed study. All right, I'm going to wrap this up. Let's give a big round of applause for our panelists. Thank them.